Good morning all. I add my welcome to that of uh, Alex's and the joy of being able to be with my brothers and sisters this morning in Christ. As we like to say here, my forever brothers and sisters, we will be together in glory and I praise God for that. You might like to open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes, which might be a, something you didn't uh, think was coming, but uh, someone asked me why didn't I preach in Ecclesiastes on Resurrection Sunday. I thought uh, maybe I couldn't get anything out of Resurrection Sunday from Ecclesiastes, but uh, we uh, Harvest Festival, I think we're, we're looking at a good passage for Harvest Festival in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 11. As a way of introduction, I wonder if you have noticed that over the last couple of decades there, there's become a trend of something called extreme sports. You know, jumping off cliffs, jumping off buildings, skyboarding, skydiving. I'll even include bungee jumping in that. And for me, extreme sports is going on a roller coaster. If you want to hear a 60-year-old man scream all around the roller coaster, just come and sit next to me. And that's my extreme sport, roller coaster. But why has extreme sports become so popular? Why are people doing it? I think it's, um, I can only put it down to the adrenaline rush that they need these days to, to fill in spaces in their life that's missing. They think they need more excitement in their lives and this is what they, and how they do it by uh, throwing themselves off buildings. Now, don't get me wrong, on the surface of things, there's nothing morally with bungee jumping. There's nothing morally wrong with jumping off a cliff. But to me, it seems so reckless and uh, can be a real problem at times if you follow the news. But moving away from these extreme sports, there's a, you could put them on the left. On the right, there's another area of growing number of people are getting into And I think that's being too cautious. And I include Christians here. People who never want to take a risk. People who are always wanting to to play it safe. People who, and Christians who refuse to venture out of their comfort zone. And these people often end up living stable, quiet, boring and ultimately empty lives on the other side of Extreme sports, you have extreme comfort. So as we come to the book of Ecclesiastes, we're looking at chapter 11, verses 1 to 6. I want us to always remember these are God-inspired words through the reflections of King Solomon as he wrote down his journal. This wise man, the wisest who ever was and whoever will be, as described in 1 Kings This man who ruled Israel about a thousand years before the time of Christ, he put all his thoughts in a journal. And we've travelled through ten chapters of that already. But I want to realise, or want us all to realise, that this morning Solomon's wisdom focuses on the overly cautious person. These verses, one to six, will encourage us, or hopefully encourage us, not to hold back from experiencing the life that God intended particularly Christians to live. Solomon will actually tell us in these verses to be bold, to live boldly. Don't let the uncertainties of life hold us back from taking risks by faith 
for the glory of God. Taking risks by faith for the glory of God. You see, the better part of spiritual wisdom is not caution. The better part of spiritual wisdom is courage through Jesus Christ. And we're going to see that hopefully in this passage this morning. Solomon begins by encouraging us to get out of our comfort zone by being generous. One way we can all be too cautious, according to Solomon, is that we hang on too tightly to the things we have. You know, our money, our time, our energy, our resources, even our lives, we hang on to them too tightly. And so he begins in Ecclesiastes chapter 11 verse 1 with these words. He says, cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. What in the world does this peculiar verse saying to us? Perhaps you're like me and when you read something like that, you think of a, a number of things. You can cast your bread upon the waters and it will return to you soggy. <laughs> Maybe cast your bread upon the waters and the seagulls will eat it. Or cast your bread upon the waters and your mother will be mad at you for playing with your food. No, not really. But what is Solomon's point? There are different thoughts about this verse. Firstly, to cast one's bread upon the waters, some people would uh, take it as to engage in international trade, sending your grain or your produce out to sea, and we know that Solomon had ships, and we know that he, he did all that, and then waiting for the ships to return with fine goods from foreign lands, and to find it after many days would be to receive the reward that eventually comes from taking the risk of a wise investment. But as I studied this verse and someone asked me, I can't wait till you get to chapter 11 verse 1 to find out what you're going to think. And so I put a bit more pressure on me. Thanks, John. That's uh, lovely to have that pressure on you. But as I thought about it and as I looked at the context, what is Solomon trying to help us with here? With the context of chapter 10, the context of what I'm going to be looking at in the next few weeks. And so from my studies and looking at the context, I've come to understand that verse 1 is actually from an, an ancient Arabic, Arabic, uh, or Arabic proverb. This is the proverb in English. Do a good deed and throw it in the river. When this dries up, you shall find it. It's an ancient proverb. We've got to remember Solomon is an ancient king. He was a wise king and we know that he wrote many, many proverbs couple of psalms but mostly known for his proverbs song of solomon and so i looked at this uh, this proverb from uh, from arabia and i said what's the meaning of that do a good deed throw it in the river when this dries up you shall find it and i thought well this is the meaning i put to it let go of what you have don't hoard it don't hang on to it be generous, give it away, and in the end you'll be glad you did. And so I think this section is built around this proverb because he goes on in verse, after verses 1 and 2 to talk about seizing the day, doing the things that we should be doing and not procrastinating. And we'll see that when we get there. But I want you to notice that this proverb in verse 1 has an undertaking. Cast your bread upon the waters, 
for you will find it after many days. And so when bread is cast on the waters, and I want to use the idea of bread now as a good deed, as in that proverb, when you release your time, when you release your energy, when you release your money to others, like Harvest Festival, we've released, a lot of people have released their, their money in this case and their time to buy it for, for goods to show that the Lord has been supplying them and so therefore I'm going to cast onto the waters the things that I am able to give. And so when bread is cast out on the waters, when you release your, your time, your energy, your money, whatever, to others, there's something remarkable about God's faithfulness in bringing back any number of benefits and blessings in doing that. When you cast out whatever you have onto the waters, there are benefits and blessings. And Jesus said this himself. Jesus said this very thing in Luke 6.38. So if you're not sure about this in the context of the Old Testament, bring yourself forward to Luke into the New Testament. This is what Jesus says. Give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. Cast your bread upon the waters and you will find it after many days. Giving of ourselves is God's way. It's what Jesus was saying. Give and it will be given to you. See, God will honour that kind of unguarded vulnerability of giving. It's like letting down the, bre- the, the moat across uh, our lives. Letting others in, letting us out to give to others. It's letting ourselves be free of being overcautious. In Solomon's terms, it's casting bread on the surface of the water. But how do we do that? How are we going to do that as Christians particularly? Well, as far as I can see, rather than hoarding, we need to give and invest our time, our talent and our finances to wherever. In fact, Solomon continues with this thought in verse 2. He says, Divide your portion to seven or even to eight, for you do not know what misfortune may occur on the earth. Solomon's advice in verse 2 is very practical. Cast your bread upon the waters, be generous to many different people, dividing what you have into seven or even eight. Now, to give a portion is to share the good things of this life, and we often give portions. To share seven portions would be the height of generosity in your life, and and to share eight is to even do more. It's to do everything we can to help others, to to give out our time, our finances, our our lives to other people. All the time, understanding that misfortune may occur to any of these that we're giving out, any of the things that we're giving out. But it says you will find it after many days. Divide your portion to seven or even eight, for you do not know what misfortune may occur on the earth. Martin Luther said this, he said, Be generous to everyone while you can. Use your riches wherever you can possibly do any good. Give out a portion of seven to eight. Divide your portions to seven or eight, for you do not know what misfortune may occur on the earth. 
I thought about the negative of these two proverbs. In other words, someone who is unwilling to share what they have with others. And I thought, well, if we're like that, then don't be surprised that others are unwilling to share when you're in need. I thought, that's, that's just logical. If you don't cast anything out, if you don't give anything, even if I'm talking about your life even, then don't be surprised when others are unwilling to share when, you, when you're in need. See, we have a bad habit of giving nothing of ourselves and expecting everyone to run after us. It seems to be ingrained in us. I'll just sit here, I won't give anything, but when I'm in need, I want everyone to run after me. That's just the negative of what he's saying in verse 1. I'm wondering if you're someone who casts yourself on the waters, your time, your energy, your money, whatever it may be, or are you a person, as Charles Swindoll describes, that gets all you can, cans all you get, then sits on the can? If you're that latter latter type of person, then Solomon says that's just foolish. Remembering and keeping in mind that verse chapter 10 was all about being foolish. But the Lord says it's foolish as well. Because in Matthew 6, 19 to 21, this is what Jesus says. He says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And people ask, well, how do I store up treasures in heaven? Well, you cast yourself onto the waters, giving to everybody, giving where is necessary, to seven, to eight, understanding that Jesus said that we'll come back to you Pressed down into your, into your lap. Slowly but surely, I'm, I'm learning that Solomon and Jesus Christ and the rest of the Bible writers are right, that generosity is the way to live. Whether it's your money or whether it's your time, whether it's your energy, whatever you have, it is in giving that you will truly receive. And of course, You know that verse that the Lord Jesus is quoted as saying, it is more blessed to give than receive. So the Lord three times seems to be backing up what Solomon is saying. And I love that about the scriptures. You've got Solomon saying something and the Lord's just backing it up when he gets here on this earth. Now I need to make sure you understand that what I've said over the past few minutes is in no way an appeal for you to give more money to this church. That's not what I'm saying. If that's what you choose to do, if that's what you believe God wants you to do, as treasurer, I'm all for it. Go for it. Blessings on you. And right at this moment, we have many people who are blessing this church immensely with their giving. But that's not what this is all about. Whether or not you ever give a cent to this church, the important thing is that you learn to be generous with your life. Casting yourself into many different directions. Being generous with your time, your resources, everything that God has entrusted to you. I want you to remember that 
Everything you own belongs to God. Now, I know you know that, but we have to be reminded every now and then that what you own belongs to God. In fact, all of your life as a Christian is just being a steward for God. And one day, he will call you to give an account of what you have done. You might like to turn with me to Luke chapter 19. There is no better scripture of being called to account for what we have done with our talents, with our time, with our money, than this passage. Keeping in mind that all of life is a stewardship from God, everything we have he has given us, and one day he's going to give us, call us to an account of that and what we've done with it. Luke chapter 19 verse 11. While they were listening to these things, Jesus went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem and they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. So he said, A nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then return. Now I can't preach through this, otherwise I'm going to go off, but that obviously refers to the Lord Jesus Christ going away to prepare a kingdom for us and then returning when he does. And he called ten of his slaves and gave them ten miners and said to them, Do business with this until I come back. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that these slaves to whom he had given the money be called to him so that he might know what business they had done. The first appeared saying, Master, your miner has made ten miners more. And he said to him, Well done, good slave. Because you have been faithful in a very little thing, you are to be in authority over ten cities. The second man, the second came saying, Your miner master has made five miners. And he said to him also, And you are, and you are to be over five cities. They spread, they, they cast their bread onto the waters. One came back. And they used the talents that God, that Jesus had given them. But verse 20 says, Another came saying, Master, here is your miner, which I kept put away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you are an exacting man. You take up what you do not lay down and what you did not sow and reap what you did not sow. As I read this, I couldn't help but think of a person who just doesn't give of themselves at all. The talents that they have got, they put in a handkerchief. The talents, of everything that God has given them, they put away under your mattress, wherever it may be. Verse 20 says to him, says, said, he said to him, by your own words I will judge you, you worthless slave. Did you know that I am an exacting man, taking up what I did not lay down and reaping what I did not sow? Then why did you not put my money in the bank and have come, and having come, I would have collected it with interest? Then he said to the bystanders, take the miner away from him and give it to the one who has ten miners. And they said to him, master, he has ten miners already. I tell you that to everyone who has more shall be given, but from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. 
a wonderful parable. I thought of us giving an account one day for the stewardship what God has given us. Sadly, if you're not a good steward with what God has given to you, you're going to miss out on many good things in this life and as we can see in the life to come. Your rewards, we talked about rewards last Sunday night. Is there uh, levels of rewards? And the answer, of course, is yes. We saw that just in that passage. There is levels of reward. And if we're not good stewards with what God has given us, if we're not casting them onto the waters, we're going to miss out on the many good things in life and the life to come. And so for our sake, and more more importantly for the glory of God, we need to be encouraged to be good stewards. And that's what Solomon is doing here. Remember that materialism is measured by not how much you have, but how much you love what you have. That's materialism. How much you love what you have. And in the same way, generosity is not measured by how much you give. Generosity is measured at how much you are willing to give. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Solomon gives us in two verses everything that the, some of the things that the Lord has already said or has, will say. There's another section that comes now that Solomon says to be generous and he says, to be generous you must seize the day, you must carpe diem. Verse 3, if the clouds are full, they pour out rain upon the earth and whether a tree falls toward the south or toward the north, wherever the tree falls, well, there it lies. He who watches the wind will not sow and he who looks at the clouds will not reap. Here we have a, a farmer standing out in his field. The clouds above him are full of rain, part of the familiar cycle of nature. There nearby a tree has fallen to the ground, possibly from a storm. There's nothing the farmer can do about either the rain or the tree that's already fallen. There it, it's going to lie and the, the clouds it's going to rain. He can't do anything about that. It's outside his control. But one thing the farmer can control is when he'll sow his seed and when he will harvest his crop. That's what these verses are saying. But this farmer is just standing there. He's watching the wind, he's watching the clouds, but he's not farming his field. Too busy watching. The implication is that he's trying to guess when he can safely sow his seed or safely harvest the grain. Back in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 2 we learnt there was a time to plant and a time to uproot what is planted. But apparently this farmer is not sure what time it is. He has no idea. You know, back in chapter 10 the, uh, Solomon introduced us to the foolish homeowner who was too lazy to go out and fix his roof. You might remember that. And while this farmer here in chapter 11 also refuses to work as he looks at the clouds and the wind, he keeps waiting and watching but never sowing or reaping. And you think, why not? And I think because rather than getting on with his work, he keeps hoping that there will be a better condition, that the rain will stop or the wind will stop. But how do we respond when things seem to be out of control? When you're waiting to do something and you just can't seem to find the right time to do it. 
I call it procrastination. Instead of doing what we ought to be doing, what we know we ought to be doing, we keep putting things off. And there's always an excuse. I love that. There's always an excuse. Maybe the weather will be better tomorrow. You know, I, as a <coughs> fairly new Christian, I had an elder who had said to most of the people in the church, he would... He was a doctor and he said he would love to use his, his abilities as a doctor to go overseas and to be a missionary. And this is what he wanted to do. And he had a heart for it. But according to his wife, there was never the right time. Oh, wait till the children grow up and, and they finish school. Wait, wait till they're a bit older. Wait till we've saved a bit more money. He wanted to go, but she... Couldn't find the right time. And to my knowledge to this day, he never went. Never cast his doctoral work onto the waters. I wonder if you know people like that. Maybe you're like that. As you sit here this morning, always waiting for something and everything to fall into place before stepping out and doing what the Lord would have you do. That's not how the Lord wants us to be. We need to figure out what he wants us to do and then do it. Carpe diem, do it, just do it. And there's no better time like the future to step out in faith. Stop procrastinating, stop being that farmer who's not going to sow or reap because he can't work out whether it's blowing or raining. Don't wait for conditions to be perfect because that will never happen. At planting time, there is always a chance that the weather will stay dry. We know that from our farmers, in which case the seed that is sown will shrivel and die. That's a fact. At harvest time, there's always a chance that a storm will strike before we get all the grain safely into the barn. There's no guarantees in life. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verse 11 says this, I again saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift and the battle is not to the warriors and neither is bread to the wise nor wealth to the discerning nor favour to men of ability for time and chance overtakes them all. Moreover, man does not know his time. There are no guarantees. You just never know. So, But nevertheless, Solomon is saying you will never reap if you don't sow. In other words, yes, we need to be constantly diligent, but if we wait until we have time to do something that we know the Lord wants us to do, then we will never do it. It'll pass you. I wonder if you've found yourself putting off something you know God wants you to do. You just know in your heart a ministry within this church or going to Bible college or maybe a short-term mission work. The perfect opportunity begins now. Don't put off what God has placed in your heart to do for goodness sake. And let me say that this is true for every one of us. No matter what age, no matter what situation you find yourself in, if you're a young person, if you believe God is calling you to be a nurse or a teacher, an accountant or an engineer or a pastor or a missionary, You need to pursue it as a young person if that's what God has placed in your heart. 
Don't keep waiting for tomorrow. Don't keep waiting until you have enough finances. Don't keep waiting until everything falls into place. Go for it. Seize the day. Do what you can do today to move towards that goal, if nothing else. Now, at the time, your goal may seem very impractical. Your goal may even take you well outside your comfort zone. Your goal may even be be discouraged by other people, which is what happened to Karen and I when we entered the full-time ministry. Oh, you shouldn't do that. Your children are too young. How are you going to feed them? How are you going to do this? How are they going to be schooled? It's like putting all these obstacles in front of you, someone else uh, probably with a good heart, putting obstacles in front of you instead of doing God's work. But if you're convinced that what God is calling you to do, then you need to do it, like that farmer just needed to do it. But it's not just the young ones, it's us oldies as well. As we hit middle age and beyond, we may feel a bit frustrated as we get on in age because life hasn't quite turned out as we hoped it would. Maybe you feel like you're in a rut. Often as as we get older, we decide that it's too late to do anything about it. And we allow those dreams to fade and we struggle to be content with a rather shallow and empty existence. But even as old folk, we don't have to be that way. No matter what the situation is, you can choose to do what God is calling you to do today. And he who calls you will will provide everything you need. And it's not too late for him to do some pretty amazing things through you, no matter what age you are. As Christians, we're meant to live life. We're not meant to coast through. That's not what God has placed us on this earth to do, to just coast through life. John 10.10 says, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. We are to experience a more abundant life. And to do that is not being in a rut. It's casting ourselves out. It's doing what we know we should do at the time when the Lord is saying, don't settle for mediocrity as a Christian. If you're not ministering, if you're not doing what you know God wants you to do, then you need to do it. You need to seize the day and move on. If we wait until we're less busy, until you feel right, until just the right moment, then you'll never witness. You'll you'll never serve. You'll never see any results. And we'll never cast our bread on the surface of the waters. Chapter 11 began by commanding us to cast and to give, even if we don't know what blessing or disasters may lie in the future. Then Solomon warned us what will happen if we refuse to act like the farmer who watches the weather but never does any farming. And now in verse 5 he uses, Solomon uses an analogy to remind us how little knowledge we have compared to God. In other words, if we're going to give, if we're going to seize the day, then we have to know who's behind it. And this is what Solomon does. He says in verse 5, Just as you do not know the path of the wind and how bones are formed in the womb of the pregnant woman, 
So you do not know the activity of God who makes all things. Sow your seed in the morning and do not be idle in the evening. For you do not know whether morning or evening sowing will succeed or whether both of them alike will be good. Solomon's point is quite clear. There are many things we don't understand. Many things that we don't uh, know how it works. Many things in the future we simply do not know. We don't know the path of the wind. We don't know how the bones are formed in the tiny fetus of the mother. We are trusting God in that. And we we are to trust God in everything, courageously. And this is where it falls down. No ifs. Casting your bread upon the waters. There's no ifs or ands or buts or howevers. God is in control. He makes all things. And I see this more and more clearly as each year goes by. My perspective, and I dare say yours, is very narrow of our lives. We can only know what we know. We can only know what's going to happen or has happened. I don't even know what's going to happen in the next minute. Lee said, I hope the Lord comes before you finish your sermon. Not because, well, I hope it wasn't because I was preaching bad. I actually said, I hope he comes before I start. But he knows the future. He knows what's going to happen. My perspective of life is so narrow, only God sees the whole picture. My wisdom is very limited. His is infinite. And that's why it only makes sense to trust God. It makes no sense to trust anything else. He knows the answers to all the why questions that I have. He knows what's ahead for you. He knows what's up ahead for me. He knows what's up ahead for this church. He knows what's up ahead for the whole planet. And interestingly, it's trusting the Lord that enables us to do what we've been talking about this morning. If you trust the Lord, it's easy to be generous and to give of your life and to give of your talents. It's not easy to be generous. It's a lot easier to hang on to what we have. It's not easy to seek what the Lord wants us to do. It's a lot easier just to drift through life in your comfort zone. It is a lot easier to do that. But when we're trusting the Lord, we can do those things. We can be generous. We can share our money we have with someone else who is in need, knowing that if an unexpected bill comes in, that's fine. The Lord will provide it. He knows everything. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm all for insurance. I'm all for savings accounts. I'm all for retirement plans. Living wisely, living as God intends may involve all those things. But we must not try to find our security in those things. Our security is not in our money and our possessions. They belong to God. In fact, the term financial security for Christians is really an oxymoron. It's it's a poor choice of words for Christians because God is the only source of true security. And when we learn to trust him, when we're free to be generous when we're free with our lives to give, when we're trusting the Lord, we're free to do what he calls us to do. We're free to take risks because God's in control. We're free to leave our comfort zone. We're free to not live life based on what other people may think. We're free to focus on what will bring honour to God. We all like bottom line, so what's the bottom line of this? 
Trust the Lord and you'll be able to live as God intends and enjoy an abundant life. It's that simple. It really is that simple. Trust the Lord and you'll be able to live as God intends and you will enjoy an abundant life. But even though it's simple and easy to say in a sentence, it's not easy. I understand that. You see, most of us are prone to trust ourselves more than God. And a lot of the time we say, God, I'll make this decision. I don't trust you in the outcome. I know what's better. Well, that's what we're at least saying to God when we uh, trust ourselves more than God. Unfortunately, we want to be in control of our lives. And instead of admitting that we're not in control of our lives, often we opt for the illusion of being in control because that makes us feel better. At least I feel like I'm in control. Yet the only way to really live life is to stop trusting in ourselves, trust God. How can we learn to do that? Well, one way is one we've been focusing on this morning by understanding God's amazing grace. You see, God is not only all-wise, he's also perfectly good. In fact, he demonstrated and proved his goodness when Jesus gave his life for us. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, if we wonder whether God can be trusted, if you ever question whether you can trust him enough to be generous with your money or or yourselves or or, or whatever you have, if you've ever wondered if God can be trusted enough so that you can step out of your comfort zone and take some risks, if you've ever wondered if God can be trusted that much, just look at the cross. The cross proves he can be trusted. So if for some reason you're not trusting the Lord, I encourage you today to start looking to why you don't trust him. Is it because you think you're better on the throne than he is of your life? Of course, the first step in doing this is to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour in the first place. Maybe you've never done that. Maybe you think you have, but you haven't. But if you're like me, if you're a Christian, if you're a born-again believer here this morning, then I would simply say it only makes sense that we trust the Lord enough to go for it. Trust him. If it's what he wants you to do, trust him in it. Whatever he's calling us to do, whatever risks are involved, however far outside of your comfort zone it's going to take you, By God's grace, go for it. And we need to go for it because trusting God is the only way to live. It's the only way to experience joy, is trusting God. Trusting God is actually the only way to bring glory to God. Someone wrote a little poem, So cast your bread upon the waters, Give a portion to seven or even eight. In the morning sow your seed and in the evening withhold not your hand. What God will do, you never know, but you will never reap if you never sow. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you for your word from thousands of years ago, word that is so applicable even today in the 21st century and probably even more so. So, Father, I ask that we would take these words 
these thoughts that Solomon has placed for us. And Father, that you, by your Spirit, would work in our lives if we are indeed not doing or not trusting you in all we do. Help us to once again remember that everything we have is just being given to us by you for your stewardship. And one day we will be held account for what we did, what you had given us. And so, Father, help us be mindful of that and do what, do what you have asked us to do so that we're not holding our talents in a handkerchief, that we're not storing them away, thinking that that is a good thing. Help us to spread them out, Lord. Spread ourselves out for your glory because we ask it in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.